Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of this podcast and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a labor marketplace that enables biotechs to build world-class teams while keeping fixed costs low. You can check us out at clora.com. I'm excited to welcome Michelle Werner, CEO of Alterna and CEO partner at Flagship Pioneering. Thanks so much for joining us today, Michelle. Thank you so much, Rahul, for the invite. I'm really excited about our conversation today. Wonderful. And for those of you that aren't aware, we had Alterna on the podcast quite some time ago at the time of company launch. There's been lots of exciting progress since then that we'll talk through. But as a starting point, Michelle, I'd love if you can provide us a bit of an overview on your background, what got you interested in biotech initially and pharma, and what got you to where you are today. Thanks a lot. So I've been in what I will say the drug development business for the last 20 plus years, so quite a while. I will say I had started off with very humble beginnings, first as a scientist in a lab. And then after I realized after a period of time that I wanted to work with people rather than cell culture and animal models, I moved myself in the direction of actually working at a cancer clinic at the very early stages of my career soon after I graduated from university. It was then that I really got the appetite for being in drug development because I was working with patients in a cancer clinical trials unit. So patients who had some devastating diagnoses of various different types of cancer, and then being a bit of a liaison between pharma companies or biotech companies who are sponsoring clinical trials and the investigators who are running them within the hospital that I was working at and the patients themselves who are participating in the trials. And it was really during that experience that I really realized the importance of drug development and bringing new innovations to people who desperately need them. Now, this was 20 plus years ago. And in that time in oncology, we had very little that was being offered to patients. We've made a lot of progress since then, of course, which is great. But really working with the patients and seeing them at some of the most dire times in their lives was a very humbling experience for me. And it really inspired me to want to dedicate my career to trying to figure out how we can really bring better innovations, better medicines for patients who really, really need them. So I'd say that's really where it all began for me. And from that experience is really where I moved into the industry in the first place. First in biotech, actually, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And then after a couple of years doing that, it sparked my career in big pharma, which is where I've been for the last almost two decades. Adding a little bit of color, I'd say what's actually been kind of interesting in this experience, especially in that first biotech experience that I've had, is I started my career off on the research and development side of our industry. I found that to be a great place to be, where I felt like we were on the cutting edge of science at all times. And it was at an early stage in my career where I had that unique opportunity to work on a program that was getting commercialized. And it was actually the company's first commercialized medicine that I was working on. And so it was really interesting to be in that R&D type of role, but all of a sudden the company was expanding and scaling in such a way where all these commercial operations, infrastructure was being put in place, and then playing a role in helping to bring our, that commercial organization up to speed in terms of what all of the work that we had done from an R&D perspective. That actually was another sort of pivotal moment in my career because it helped me think about, okay, I'd spent at that point in my life a number of years doing R&D, 
but I really wanted to understand that commercial landscape a bit better. And I used that as that inspiration to then transition my career over to mostly late stage development and commercialization, where I've spent the bulk of my career since then. And Michelle, I noticed that you went to business school some time ago. I'm curious to understand your thinking around at that point in your career, where were you that you felt like you wanted to go to business school and any reflections on going to business school, given your background? It was very purposeful because at that point in time where I was deciding that maybe I wanted to transition my career from R&D to commercial, I felt like I was doing some self-reflection there and really realizing I never took an economics class as an undergrad. I never took any kind of business class as an undergrad. I had not the right foundation. I mostly studied science and math, and I really felt like I needed to supplement that education with the fundamentals of business if I really wanted to make that transition. So that's really what led me to believe, like, let me just take a step back and actually leave, put my career to the side for the moment and go back to school and do so full time. And I chose an MBA with London Business School. So it brought me out of the U.S. and into a very international setting that was also very purposeful because I knew I wanted to re-enter into the pharma sector and recognizing that pharma was becoming increasingly more global, probably better to start putting myself in a situation where I could be surrounded by people from all over the world that came from all different kinds of cultures and backgrounds, which would just hopefully be an asset for me in the future. And to me, it just was like I had to get that foundation and to build it from the start. So an MBA in that type of a setting seemed like a great place to do it. And I would say it was one of the best decisions that I've made in my career. I think if I had chosen to transition my career to commercial from R&D without having the MBA, it would have been much, much more difficult. But the MBA really positioned me well to be able to make that leap at that moment in my career, which was as a pretty junior person in the industry. So did you feel like going to B-School at that point unlocked aspects of your career that you otherwise wouldn't have had access to given your path within biotech? A hundred percent, right? So I think that even from the internship that I did in between my two years as an MBA was at a big pharma company doing a commercial role. I just wouldn't have had that opportunity if I stayed the course within R&D, within biotech. And immediately after I finished my MBA, I was able to enter and restart my career in the commercial space. And again, I did it from the ground up. I started off as a sales rep, right? I didn't start in this very kind of fancy senior commercial role. I started off at the bottom, like where the action really is in the commercial setting. And I wouldn't have done it any other way. Like to me, it's really having an understanding of what really happens at that critical time when physicians are making decisions around treatments for their patients, which I think you get a great line of sight of when you're in that field-based customer-facing role was exactly where I would have wanted to start my career. And so I don't think I would have been able to really have that experience or be positioned to have that experience if I didn't do the MBA. That's at least my personal mm. belief. And pulling on that thread a bit, I'm curious, given your commercial background, and obviously within the flagship ecosystem, as well as in many other ecosystems, the trend in biotech historically has been someone who is either the founder of the biotech or an MD, PhD. And the reason I was asking the question around, did you feel like it unlocked something was, I kind of felt that way in terms of my own career is, do I need to go and do something else to unlock aspects of, let's say the upper echelons of biotech that you don't otherwise have access to? We've seen quite a number of folks that 
have had commercial backgrounds, recently take CEO roles at biotechs. And I'm curious what you think folks with that perspective bring to the CEO role that is unique compared to historical predecessors within biotech that tended to be folks that had founded something in the lab and so on. First and foremost, what I would say is I think there are many different phenotypes out there that could make CEOs of startup biotech companies quite successful, right? I don't think there's any one version of that that should be the gold standard. What I would say in particular with me and my background and what I think that I bring to the table are a couple of different things. Number one, I've had the opportunity of working in large companies. So really having a vision for how a company can be scaling over its lifetime is really important and how to really have a vision for what that future may look like for hopefully an alternate in 10, 20 years, let's say. But I also think what's also really important from a commercial background, which I think I bring is how do you create value for a company, not just take great science, but being able to unlock the value creation potential that it offers and to be able to translate that into a narrative that's really important for a startup like ours, especially a private company that may be going through fundraising. I think that's a really important skill set to have. But then I would also say I've had the opportunity to have a number of really important, and it's really just been a privilege in some of the roles that I've had the opportunity to have, where I've led big teams of four or 500 people. I've been a general manager where I've led organizations that have many, many different functions and disciplines that are represented. And I think there's also a leadership dynamic that you learn in those types of opportunities in terms of how do you really get the most out of people? How do you really understand what a leadership team needs in terms of skill sets and competencies? How do you really create a culture that is going to help enable an organization and get the best out of it? I mean, these are all things that I feel like I've had opportunities to really flex those muscles throughout my commercial career. I think all of those are things that I am applying in my role here as CEO of Alterna. You've been at Alterna now as a first-time CEO for about a year and a half and now been within the robust flagship ecosystem for that time. I'm curious if you've had an opportunity to reflect on what learnings from pharma didn't necessarily apply to running Alterna over the last year and a half, and if there were any kind of mindset shifts that you needed to make that you'd like to share with others. Yeah. Well, I will say is I've had a great career and great experiences during my time in pharma. Certainly some of the things that I've had the opportunity to learn is, as I mentioned, leading big organizations, how to navigate different governance discussions. But I also think that there is a difference in cultures from company to company where I think that I'm doing something very differently here at Alterna. I think it's actually synonymous with flagship pioneering is the element of really spending your time in your area of focus in the areas of the real unknown. So not the adjacencies, but having the courage to really explore the areas that maybe perhaps other companies will not touch. Because there is definitely a little bit of a sentiment of having less appetite for risk at big companies, which I think just comes with the territory. Now, of the three large pharma companies that I've worked at, I'd say there's a spectrum of appetite for risk taking amongst them. But generally, I think you can say that bureaucracy, governance, and maybe a little bit more of sensitivity around risk-taking are perhaps some of the the baggage that comes along with being in those types of organizations. Now, there's lots of great things too, but those are things that I would say I was really looking to break free from. 
And I would say certainly in the last year and a half that I've been here at Alterna and part of the flagship pioneering ecosystem, I think the way that we look at the world is really incredible. Sometimes I will say I've been labeled in such a way of being a little bit of a troublemaker in my pharma career, perhaps because I would ask the tough questions about why we do things a certain way or why aren't we looking at this or why don't we take a bold leap and do X. And sometimes people would look at me and be like, oh, I don't know, that sounds scary. And sometimes people would look at me and say, okay, maybe we should think about it. But oftentimes we stay in a safer zone. So what I think is so phenomenal about the work that we do in general at Flagship and certainly with the work that we're doing at Alterna, it is about having courage to really go into those unknown spaces, to ask those really tough questions. And instead of maybe being considered a troublemaker, I'm considered like, yes, this is exactly what we're expecting, right? Like we want people who are bold and courageous and aren't afraid of that unknown. And I think that's really quite fascinating and liberating for somebody like myself who's been trying to do that throughout my career. Thanks for sharing that experience with our audience. Switching gears a bit, we haven't had folks since Alterna was on the first time educate us on tRNA as a treatment modality. So I'd love if you could provide and educate us on tRNA and perhaps its potential to be a platform technology. Sure. I'd be remiss not to start this conversation by maybe just reflecting on the work that's been done over the last decade in the RNA space. If we just look at the progress that's been made with RNAs, with obviously the mRNAs, which clearly have now moved from a modality to now vaccines and ultimately soon to be treatments, no doubt. I think we really take the knowledge of all the advancements that have been made in that space over the last decade, it's a bit of an inspiration for the work that we're doing at Alterna. I fundamentally and very humbly say that we stand on the shoulders of giants, of predecessors who have been really leading the way, such as the Modernas of the world, who have made tremendous progress in these arenas over this period of time. But when we look at tRNA, right, so tRNA, which is transfer RNA, it's an area that has been overlooked for the most part during this time. And part of that really has been because we didn't necessarily, even though we knew what a tRNA was from kind of basic biology, we didn't really have all the tools to turn that basic understanding and unlock it into a new modality. And those tools really needed to be developed. And in the roughly five years that Alterna has been leading this space, We've now are in that position where we've developed those tools and we've made tremendous progress now to the point where I think we can say we're on the cusp of really understanding how it can turn into a new modality and maybe turn it into a new modality. That's our ambition. So if we go back to our sort of bio 101, right, about what is a tRNA, so it plays this fundamentally interesting universal role in the protein translation process where its function is really to read the code for an amino acid on the mRNA and it precisely matches the anticodon on the tRNA. The tRNA sort of deciphers those instructions on the mRNA to know exactly which amino acid comes next and then transfers that amino acid to the growing polypeptide chain. And in a healthy state, what happens is that you get a fully functional, full-length protein, which is exactly what we all need to carry out day-to-day -day cellular functions and ultimately life. That's the importance of proteins. Now, interestingly enough, and as we know, mutations occur and sometimes the code isn't always correct. And when the code is not correct, the tRNA can't decipher those instructions as well as it should. And the result is either a truncated or a missing 
protein, which is what causes disease. And so when we think about the world of genetic diseases, there are a lot of them. I'm going to say 6,000. Some people would argue 10,000, but it's a lot. And it covers about 300 million patients around the world have some kind of a genetic diagnosis. So it's, it's quite robust. Now, where we're starting at Alterna is in what we call premature termination codons or nonsense mutations. And what we're doing is engineering tRNAs so that instead of having an imperfection in the mRNA code where the tRNA doesn't actually exist. So let me take a step back. When you have a nonsense mutation, what happens is the code, instead of coding for an amino acid, codes for a stop. And the result then is that truncated protein. And when you have a truncated protein, it causes disease. Now, in the world, naturally, there are no natural tRNAs that understand how to read these premature termination codons, so this specific type of mutation. And that's why the mRNA and the ribosome is released from the protein, and you end up with that truncated protein. Now, what we're doing at Alterna is understanding the biology of tRNA, engineering these tRNAs so that instead of their not being able to read that premature termination codon, that it actually can read through that termination codon instead. So instead of stopping translation, the translation continues as it normally would. It deciphers what the amino acid should have been if the code had been correct and transfers that correct amino acid to the growing polypeptide chain. And then the result is that full-length functional protein, which is precisely what would happen under the natural state. So that's what we're all about. And that's where we're focusing in that first instance. And with all of those genetic diseases that I mentioned before, those 6,000 different diseases with 300 million people affected around the world, premature termination codons cause about 10% of those diagnoses. So about 30 million people have what we call stop codon disease. So that's any genetic disease that stems from a stop codon, and that's the area that we're tackling first. Michelle, thanks for that great background. I'm curious when you have a platform technology that has the potential to be as powerful as what we just talked about. One, how do you go about selecting which indications to first pursue? Or, you know, we talked a little bit about your unifying development plan so that you don't go disease by disease. And I'm wondering if you could provide more insight into how you're thinking about that. Absolutely. And I would say this is one of the unique features about the tRNA and actually what I find so fascinating about what we're doing here at Alterna. So when we think about the, I'm going to say, conventional way that we're treating genetic diseases, we are taking this gene by gene or disease by disease approach. So any sort of gene or genetic modulating technology such as gene therapy or gene editing, even mRNA, really has to be very specific to the gene, very specific to the protein that's being encoded, and that's why it has to go disease by disease. Now, when you have 6,000 plus of these different diseases, that would be like a thousand lifetimes, right? For Nobel Prize winners to be able to really make a dent in all of that. Well, we don't have time for that and patients don't have time for that. So what's really exciting about the work that we're doing and what makes the platform that we're developing here at Alterna quite fascinating is that we see the same genetic mutations across all of these different diseases. So any individual premature termination codon would be seen in, I'm going to say, thousands, thousands and thousands of different diseases. And by fundamentally looking differently at the way that we classify patients, 
not in the sort of traditional sense as we do today, disease by disease, but actually that unifying approach of taking those patients together who have common mutations across those different diseases, it really opens up this entirely new way of tackling that problem, especially because our engineered tRNAs, and we have data now that demonstrate this, can demonstrate read-through of these premature termination codons across multiple different diseases, across multiple different proteins that are being encoded for, across different locations of where mutations occur in the genome. And there's no other modality that has the ability to do that. And that's something that I think is super, super exciting. Now, why is this important? The reason why this is important is because we can tackle patients across a number of different diseases and we do so simultaneously. So you ask, how do you pick like the initial indications? Now, where we're heading, we're going to tackle stop codon disease. That's 30 million patients. Now, we have to get there somehow. We're not going to get to stop codon disease from day one. So we will certainly and have been, you know, doing the work of identifying the one or two disease areas that we're going to enter into first to demonstrate that clinical proof of concept, because we think that's really important with any new modality and picking diseases where we believe we have the best opportunity to do that because of the disease biology or being able to de-risk it with a number of different ways. But from there, we now have then this super unique opportunity to then be able to what we call a basket study to develop a basket trial approach where we can then bring patients across a number of different diseases into a single clinical trial. And we give them the same medicine. We measure similar outcomes across the board. All those patients have the same mutation. And when you're giving a very targeted mutation-specific treatment approach, we believe that we'll have the opportunity to demonstrate a safety and benefit profile across those populations, which then would allow us to be able to tackle this stop codon disease. We think this is a really exciting opportunity, one that there's precedence for because there's lots of examples of where this has been done successfully in the oncology setting, which is where I've spent much of my career, that we think can be applied into the genetic disease arena as well. But also what's super important to recognize is that when you look at all these genetic diseases, there's actually only a handful of them that people are really trying to address because those diseases themselves are sufficient enough in terms of populations that would warrant an investment from various different companies. But for us, that's not very relevant because it doesn't matter if a single disease has one patient or a disease has 1,000 patients or 10,000 patients or 100,000 patients. As long as we can have that opportunity to pull them together into a clinical trial, we believe we'll have the opportunity to demonstrate the benefit that an engineered tRNA may be able to offer those diseases and that brings a wealth of opportunity, especially to those populations where innovation wouldn't have that chance at all. Yeah, it's a very interesting and unique way to accelerate the unlocking of value of a new treatment modality. Now, you know, we're recording this in mid-August. There's been a bunch of news about Alterna. So would love if you could talk to us and update us on where you are from a development perspective, fundraising announcements and so this is a really exciting time for us at Alterna. Just recently, we've had two big pieces of news. Just last week, we announced our Series B, where we've had the opportunity to bring in $109 million from top-tier investors, including Flagship, which we're really, really excited about. We think that it's been really fantastic to be able to tell the Alterna story over the course of the last several months and to really hear the enthusiasm coming from investors about not just the premise behind tRNA biology, but also the progress that Alterna has made since you last spoke with us, Rahul, in the last couple of years. 
is really encouraging. And that excitement is being echoed externally, perhaps for the first time, which is really wonderful to see. So that's been a delight to announce recently. The second piece of news that we announced actually just this week is two major leadership appointments within our team. We had the promotion of Will Kisman, who was previously our SVP of CMC in medicinal chemistry. He's now promoted to become our chief technology officer, which is really phenomenal. And then we also had the announcement of our chief scientific officer with the appointment of Dr. Chris Henderson, who was formerly the head of research at Biogen, and he's just joined us to take the CSO role at Alterna. I think both of those appointments are really meaningful, but I think even with Chris's announcement of him joining us, I think it really speaks to, you know, the progress that we're making as a company and the excitement that we have around our platform and our advancement towards the clinic to bring somebody in like Chris, who has a wealth of experience in drug development, who's brought many programs from discovery all the way into commercial opportunities in his career, and is really an impeccable scientist to want to come on this journey with us. So that's something that we're incredibly grateful and excited for. In terms of next step for us and the pivotal moment that we're in for us as a company, so we've made tremendous progress from a platform perspective, and we're really fortunate now to be in that stage where our platform is starting to generate molecules that we believe will be development candidates which is fantastic because we do believe that one of the best ways in which we can really demonstrate the potential of our platform is to also demonstrate that in a clinical setting in patients. And we're really excited about that opportunity. And that's what we're going to use the proceeds from our Series B to do exactly that. So to advance some of these most advanced molecules towards the clinic is precisely the stage that we're at. And that's something that we all find incredibly motivating and to really have that opportunity to perhaps have that human impact is incredibly exciting for us. Congratulations, Michelle, on all of that progress and pulling in a sizable Series B in a very capital-constrained market across biotech and pharma. So I'm sure that's validation enough in terms of the energy and excitement around what you're pursuing. Given this correction that's kind of underway in biotech now, curious how the capital markets are informing how you think about team building mm. and scaling the team and value creation and just kind of a general approach that you or perhaps more broadly flagship has to how to navigate these choppy waters. What I would say is I think what's really important as leaders for us to recognize that when you do a raise like the one that we've just been able to do, I mean, it's our responsibility to be good stewards of this capital and to make sure that we're allocating it in a very thoughtful and responsible way. And that's precisely how we're thinking about it. I mean, we certainly believe in the principle of having priorities and allocating our capital appropriately towards those priorities and just being very thoughtful in the way that we scale. I mean, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We want to make sure that we're focused on the things that are really going to matter and to make a difference and to make sure that we're honoring our commitments, both from a advancing the platform, but then also advancing from a pipeline perspective, but at the same time, also building those enabling capabilities that are going to be really critical for the success of the company in the long term. So we think about it really in those three ways, platform, pipeline, and enabling work. And we're being quite conscious and deliberate in those choices. And we think that's just the responsibility that we have as leaders in order for us to be able to demonstrate the progress and to do so in a way that has good sound judgment in mind with the appropriate prioritization that you would anticipate or expect or hope a company like us to have. Yeah, that's good advice. 
And Michelle, before we wrap up, you've obviously already achieved quite a bit in your career across pharma and biotech. If we could ask you to reflect one more time, and if you think about your younger self, given all that you've now experienced, what's one piece of advice you wish you could provide your younger self now? I think this is a super great question. And what I'll say is I think that we're always these individuals that will continue to learn and develop. And I'm certainly doing that even in my role today. But when I look back 20 years ago, I'd say, I wish somebody told me then that I should focus on trying to be the best version of myself and being a true authentic leader. It's one of those things that I really aspire to and feel like I've been able to practice over my career, especially in the last five to 10 years. And that's really not trying to fit the mold of what any one leader looks like, but really to fit the mold of what me as a leader looks like. So figure out who the best version of myself is and to really drive towards that. That's the advice that I would give myself if I had that opportunity to go back then. Well, Michelle, on that salient advice, it was a pleasure having you back on again. Congrats on all the progress since Alterna was on the last time and wishing you and your team continued success as you focus on a significant unmet need population. Well, thanks so much, Rahul. It's been a pleasure and look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.